Welcome back to Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Kiana Daniels. And I am Bridget Flaherty. And today we are talking with Sharice Alcorn. I am a butterfly. I learned that every caterpillar does not turn into a butterfly. Some of them turn into moths. And I truly, over the years, have just transformed and continue to grow and value personal development. I am a little girl at heart, um, yet a grown woman caring for my inner children uh, that like to play. Um, I am creative. Um, I love to do different craft projects. I am spiritual. I am a person who really values integrity and I live by that and I usher people into my world that also uh, value integrity. Sharice is a good friend of mine and also a therapist. And so in her interview, she's going to be talking from both perspectives about her own healing journey and how it led her into therapy for herself, but then also giving some tips and tools and resources as a therapist for people who are starting the healing journey and are on the healing journey and who are questioning whether a therapist is for them. So I loved your introduction, but can you also tell us a little bit about your background? as far as like your therapist credentials, but also kind of like, I love that you led with that because most people don't lead with like more of the personal part of who they are. They lead with more of the professional. Yeah. Even when I um, provide professional development trainings, I always lead with that. One, because I want people to really get a sense of who I am, right? Kind of what my essence, my aura, my presence is. Because the other things you can Google, right? But I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what I'm grateful for that day, right? And so I start professional development presentations with gratitude, right? But as far as my credentials, I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, my undergraduate degree is in family social science. I went to the University of Minnesota Twin Cities campus. And so I have a bachelor's of science in family social science. And I worked as a case manager for um, teen moms who were in need of housing. And so during that process, I would refer a lot of my clients to therapists, to mental health workers, because housing was one portion of kind of their struggle, right? So once you're stabilized, what else is beneficial? And they would never follow through with any of the referrals. And so 
I was like, but I'm not skilled to help you. I want to help you. I want to listen. I want to be here, but I need some more training. And so then after working there for about a year and a half, I decided to go to Brown School, which was just divine, right? Because I didn't know anything about St. Louis. I didn't have any family here that I knew of. And I just Googled, what's the number one social work school? And Brown School came up and I applied and the rest is history. That was my journey, too. That's why we're kindred spirits. We wanted to go to the best. The best of the best. (laughs) Because we deserve it, right? And so I specialized. I went, you know, the mental health track during grad school and got my clinical license. And I am fortunate to be in private practice. I've been in private practice full time for the past three years or so. And I love it. Yes, I love it for you. I'm so proud yeah. of you. And then I did post secondary training at the Psychoanalytic Institute. And so I graduated from their advanced psychodynamic psychotherapy program. What is healing to you? Healing is necessary and it's mandatory for me. I truly believe that we are not responsible for what has happened to us, but we are responsible for healing what has happened to us so that we don't in turn then hurt other people because hurt people hurt people. And as you know, Bridget, that's not the first time that we've heard that phrase because we talk about that often on the podcast because healing our traumas and managing our triggers is super important so that we don't project onto others what has happened to us. And so we like to now say healing people heal other people. So when she said that, I was just like, yeah, you're, you're welcome to the club, <laughs> you know, because we understand how we have to be responsible for our own healing. And we cannot continue to make excuses as adults about the things that have happened to us to validate why we behave a certain way. I completely agree with that. I think it's easier to play victim and say, my parents did this to me or my ex did this to me or even sometimes my kids did this to me. And the truth is. That is true. They probably did those things. But that does not give you permission to then wound other people. We are responsible for our own behavior. I mean, that's what healing is all about. It is taking accountability for what happened, healing whatever wounds, and then walking in the world in a way that is not negatively impacting others and perpetuating the woundedness, right? That's the whole point. Right. And in order to get to that place of responsibility, first, we have to take a step back and really assess our behaviors and why we show up the way that we do and really looking at the patterns. I think that's something that we've mentioned before as well is paying attention to patterns and consistency in behavior will provide a lot of insight into how we may be behaving and treating other people. And at that point, Again, as adults, we should take a step back and say, okay, well, I know these things happened to me. And especially if they happened in childhood, I didn't have any control over that. But at this point, the triggers from what happened is causing me to then in turn do that to other people. So how do I stop that? What are the things that I need to do to correct that behavior? And it can be very difficult, right? You know, because in acknowledging that we are contributing to somebody else's hurt it's not an easy thing to do right because it means holding ourselves accountable and as you know holding ourselves accountable a lot of times is a very uncomfortable feeling absolutely 
it also means facing the pain, right? It's easier to stay in our patterns because we developed those patterns to serve us in some way, right? They were survival mechanisms that we created or that we developed in order to address those traumatic situations that we lived through. And so pausing, looking at the patterns and changing them, first of all, changing any habit is difficult. But then also it really, it involves taking a look at why we developed those patterns in the first place. And that's not an easy thing. It's not. (laughs) We're doing that, right? It's a part of the healing journey, the ongoing healing journey, right? It gets easier sometimes, but there can be certain things that come back up. So like the hurting people, hurting people and being responsible in stopping that behavior is super important. And so Cherise somewhat recounted some of the things that led her to begin her healing journey and to seek out therapy. One main factor being insomnia. In graduate school, ironically enough, as I'm learning to be a social worker and a therapist, I realized that I had experienced a lot of trauma, but never knew it. Like, I just thought life was rough. This is just how Black people live, that that was normal. And I realized in graduate school, as I was away, right, from my family, that that it wasn't normal. And that led to a lot of insomnia in graduate school, which led me to a psychiatrist. And I'll never forget in the intake when I was done, I was like, okay, ma'am, I done told you all this, but I'm only going to tell you because I need you to give me some sleeping pills because I can't sleep and I got to write this paper. But at the end of it, she was like, wow, no wonder you can't sleep. You've experienced a lot of trauma. That was the first time I had language for what I had experienced. And so then that led to my journey in therapy. And so it took me being away from my family of origin to realize how toxic it was. Yeah. Wow. So with that, you really kind of were able to put names to the trauma you had experienced. And was that also the time that you knew you needed to heal? No, I will say no. I knew I needed to sleep. I knew that I was experiencing something, didn't have a name for it. In retrospect, it was anxiety. I was really anxious, right? And I couldn't sleep. That's all I knew. And I then I had language for, oh, It's the big T word. It's the trauma, right? But I would say I didn't know I needed real, true, long-term work in therapy until after I graduated graduate school. For so much of my life, I was star student, right? I had a representative where she showed up and she was obedient, responsible. She was really good at school, right? Got A's. So teachers or guidance counselors would never know what was happening at home, right? And so school was something that grounded me that I could focus on, which took away from me focusing on the trauma or the craziness happening around me. And so after graduate school was done, there was nothing that was demanding on my time like that. So it was literally the freedom of going to work, working your eight-hour shift and getting off, and then it was nothing. There was no homework. There was no research articles to be reviewing. There was no study groups. And so I just had a flood of memories and PTSD symptoms that kicked in. And then that's when I knew I needed help. If you're open, what are some of the things that you've had to heal from? I have struggled for a very long time with being open. Because I always thought that 
I needed to keep all of my life like really unlocked because I didn't want patients to be impacted by my life, right? I wanted them to be able to use me and turn me into whatever they needed to heal, right? But I was reading a Bell Hooks book. She has a love trilogy collection. And the book that I'm reading right now is Salvation. Well, I'm almost done with it. And she said, part of our collective healing has to be giving up privacy so that we can tell our story to help someone else move forward. And so I had to heal from parents who were addicts. My dad, I don't even know all the substances he's used, but primarily was alcohol. My mom was addicted to cocaine, crack cocaine. And I basically was a little parentified child. And so with that came a lot of experiences that children shouldn't have to witness. Also, I've had to heal and it's still hard, but I am healing, right, from sexual abuse as a child. I have an ongoing healing process of managing chronic pain. Those are the things that comes with tons of experiences. Well, first and foremost, thank you for being open with us. That is essentially what this platform is for, is for us to share our stories, to be able to connect and build community, and so that we can learn from each other, from each other's strength, from each other's resilience, from each other's tools and resources that we use to manage ourselves with the trauma that we are healing from. So thank you for sharing that. And one thing I know that you and I were talking about earlier offline was how important it is for therapists to be doing their own work and to also have a therapist or counselor or holistic healer or somebody who's pouring into them and also being able to understand the experience of receiving help mentally and emotionally to heal from childhood and adulthood traumas. Yeah, I think it's really important. I have been blessed to have a tribe. Like I have a dope chiropractor who's a black woman. We talked about most recently, I went to get an adjustment and came out and had a shadow session. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, "Uh, no, we don't need to just crack your back, but your heart chakra is blocked, sis. Like you need to work on that. Right. And so I have a great massage therapist as far as healing. I have providers, I've intentionally sought out providers that I know would care not just about getting paid, but me as an individual person. I do believe that it is helpful for patients who are seeking therapy in your consultation with that therapist to ask them, what are they like as a therapist? The consultation is really for you to get to know them. I know it's hard to directly ask, well, is you doing your own work? Are you just going to be telling me what to do when you ain't practicing what you doing, right? But I mean, essentially, you want to make sure, one, you can establish a rapport with that person because you got to be able to trust them and you're going to see them frequently. So I have a therapist who has a therapist. And so I think that that's really important because I have things sometimes that's come up that's triggered by my patients, but I have someone to go to to hold that. So then I'm not engaging in unhealthy dynamics with my current patients, right? I can either go to my clinical supervisor or I can go to my therapist to process what's coming up because it's not 
anybody else's responsibility to take care of me. Like I have to do my own work, my own healing. I found it to be really interesting because I too am a social worker, right? I went into the helping profession and I don't know if it was because of my traumas or because I have a heart for people or a mix of the both, but I think it is really important for people to kind of assess the professions in the spaces that they find themselves in and if it's connected to their history and their past. So Sharice talked about how she was a star student because school was a safe haven for her, a place where she could focus on something other than her trauma. There are things in life that we develop that did serve us at one point of our lives, but it will not necessarily be able to be sustained in other spaces of our lives, right? And being able to be in tune with that is important. I completely relate to the overwork. The school volunteers activities and sports were my escape when I was a kid. And so I brought that with me into adulthood. And it is a thing for me that is a constant reevaluation of balance for work versus self-care, because that is my the pattern that I learned in childhood. And honestly, it's rewarded. So not only did it serve me well in dealing with my trauma, but society rewards it. And society reward it by career success and accolades and awards and all of the things that say you're doing a great job. And so it makes it even harder to find a balance in that because society is saying you're doing great while internally you're kind of falling apart. There are many different coping mechanisms and the ones that society says good job to can sometimes be really hard to break or even recognize, right? Because everybody's telling you you're doing a great job. Right. You know what? I That I 100% resonate with because I, too, threw myself into work and school as a way not to deal, right? I didn't know that. But once I got into therapy, I understood that. I achieved, and not for the accolades, but because it was something I could focus on instead of, I don't know, whatever trauma I was dealing with. And that's the part for me. It was it was very subconscious. I didn't know that I was doing it because I didn't want to deal with things. And so what I found is that there has to be boundaries in place, right? We need balance because we can overextend and go super extreme into like achieving and to accomplishing things. And that's not healthy. Like we don't have anything left, right? And I've personally experienced that. Achieving is great, but also what comes with that is understanding that that has been a habit to not deal. I am the one that is cognizant of that. So it's just like I cannot sometimes take the congratulations because I'm just like I'm doing too much. And I know you see this as me doing great things, but like honestly, I'm trying to overcome this of not doing so much. Right. And so creating that balance. And so it was just really interesting to hear Sharice's story about how she developed certain habits that just no longer served her in her adulthood because she was trying to escape certain traumas from her childhood. I think for me personally, it served me well in childhood. It was rewarded in adulthood. But then what it also did is it delayed my healing, right? Because if I'm working crazy hours and then doing these other community things or or parenting or whatever it is, I'm so busy that at the end of the day, I just collapse, I sleep, I get up, I do the same thing. Well, then I'm never stopping. And never stopping means I don't have to look at what's going on in my head. I don't have to feel what I'm feeling because I'm too busy for that. And years of I'm too busy for that builds up. And for me personally, it delayed my healing 
because it was just go, go, go. Yeah, 100% agree and understand that feeling. And so now what I do is I honor my body. That's one of my rules now, right? I have gotten better with not going, 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 but there are times because it is it was a habit. There are seasons where that happens, but in those seasons, like I think I'm in one of those seasons, I honor my body and I'm like, okay, my back feels tight. Why is that? You know, what's going on here? Do I have too much on my plate? Then I start to assess everything going on. And then I'm like, okay, a plan of action needs to be put in place to start to manage these things, get some stuff off the plate, create the balance that I started with, but that got a little out of whack. And so quite honestly, I have to do that. It's like a seesaw. I have I go back and forth with having to create the balance because I think part of the healing journey is continuing to overcome those habits that we created that still sneak in (laughs) because they have the muscle memory. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is is definitely a constant reevaluation for me to get clear on, okay, I'm exhausted. (laughs) Is that a, a, a soul exhaustion? Is that I just need to sleep for tomorrow? Like, what do I need to look at on my plate? And the idea of it being seasons is, is completely true for me. Sometimes I know I'm going to have a busy couple of weeks, and that means I need to plan time the week after that. I need to make sure that there's a light at the end of the tunnel for the busyness so that I am pouring back into me because I'm no good if I do not. Absolutely, Bridget. <laughs> so I asked Sharice how the awareness that she needed to heal made her feel, and she said that she was terrified. Because I thought that I was going to have a psychotic break. Like, I thought that if I talked about all the stuff that I had survived, I would crumble, like literally and figuratively crumble. And so I was terrified. So, you know, God bless my therapist. She's so patient. Uh, The beginning part of therapy, she had to convince me that I was going to be okay. She's like, "If trust me, if you are going to have psychotic symptoms, she was like, I think you would know by now. (laughs) You know what I mean? She's like, I truly don't believe that's what's going on here. But I felt like I was going crazy because anxiety is very somatic. And I didn't know what was happening in my body. And it was terrifying. Why do I feel nauseous one moment? And then why am I so hypervigilant? Like looking over my shoulder, I'm easily startled around people I love and I care about. Right. So all these things were happening. I didn't know what they were. I didn't know names or have words for them so it was very terrifying i can resonate with that and again the healing journey definitely makes us feel all of the emotions and sometimes like we might not make it through but we do yeah i definitely felt like i was gonna crumble when i began the healing journey i thought that like i wasn't gonna make it it was only with help that i did i mean i i was like i can't remember these things because remembering these things feels like death But I had a really great therapist at the time that said to me, what you experienced did not kill you. The healing of it certainly will not. And that was like something I held on to as I was reliving memories that I didn't want to relive. It was like I survived that thing. I can definitely change the brain chemistry around it. And it didn't kill me, and I, I'm not going to die here, but I, sometimes that reliving and, and facing whatever we experienced, especially like 
abuse, neglect, sexual trauma, it it does feel like it feels like I'm I'm not going to survive this. But even in that feeling is a necessary component to healing it because in the moment we couldn't feel that we we numbed or we escaped or we did what we ever we needed to do to survive and we didn't feel oh my god I might die. And the truth is like in some situations it was, right? It was a dangerous situation. So we have to experience that and change the narrative around it in order to change the brain chemistry around it. Um, so yeah, I can, <laughs> I completely know that feeling. And those words that that therapist gave me changed all of it. It made it surmountable. Yes. And I, I can even recall... For me in therapy, the first time I went, I had developed a hardened exterior, right? Like I didn't cry a lot. So for me, it was just the simplicity of crying, which felt, which felt, it was so um, foreign (laughs) and it felt like the hardest thing to do. Like, but that's when you're talking to the therapist, right? Like when you're starting to focus on you and how you feel, you start to emote, right? And you feel these feelings and you're like, no, no, why am I crying? No, it's just like, because you haven't, you have not released, you not, you have not cleansed yourself. So for me in that first moment, I was embarrassed. I felt embarrassment for crying for things that I needed to get out. Right. And so it was, it was, um, I had to overcome that, right? Like that, that was the part for me. It was, the vulnerability, something that I didn't know how to do before, which is why now, like I, I will, I will like, I'll fight for my vulnerability. I will never go back to not being vulnerable because that's when I felt in bondage and like I wasn't seen and heard and all of those things. And so I know there's a balance with vulnerability and I'm still working on that, but like I am so extreme with my vulnerability and transparency because of my past, right? Because I didn't do it because I didn't know how. And so my first experience with therapy and just simply having people focus on me, seeing me, hearing me, caring about how I felt, it was emotional, right? And I didn't think that I wasn't, at first I just was not, ready or used to being an active participant in talking about my emotions. So I can resonate with how terrifying it it was when you first have that, uh, that therapy session. (laughs) Sharice talked about how when we don't deal with trauma and heal from it, it can sometimes cause somatic responses. Somatic means in your body. And research will show, too, that a lot of Black people who experience mental health symptoms, they experience them in their body. So they may not say, I feel anxious right now, or I am in panic right now. What they will say is, oh, my stomach hurt. And then somebody will say, well, drink some water and lay down. <laughs> because that that's the remedy, right? My grandmother would always say, Anything I complained about, it would be, well, go take a nap, right? So, but it's, it's, you start to feel these different things in your body. So you might have chest tightness or you might feel like it's difficult to breathe or sweaty palms, chills, sweats, like 
GI distress. I mean, it depends on the mental health symptom you're having, you know, so what happens in your body could look different, but it was very much living in my body. So I didn't have the psychological language to describe what was happening, but I could say, you know, my stomach feels like I'm on a roller coaster and I'm dropping all the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or I can't stop pooping because I'm so nervous. I'm anxious pooping. Right. That makes sense. I think we've all experienced some of those things. I know I have. I used to get so uh <laughs> I used to get so anxious. Something I do now all the time, public speaking, I used to get so nervous and anxious. Oh my gosh. Like I remember one time in grad school in uh I think it was the evaluation class. Um I remember I had to give my final presentation it was only like 10 people in the class I was so nervous my hair was straightened out <laughs> I was so nervous and I sweated my hair out <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like literally having all these bodily uh physical you know things happen to me because I was so nervous and anxious so I mean like I definitely even when I feel when my spirit or my gut feels uneasy there will be my body. Our bodies definitely talk to us and signal things to us that that we should be aware of. They do. Our bodies tell us exactly what it needs if we listen. Exactly. But I think what happens is we're socialized to not listen and to put other people, places and things before our body. And so I am trying to live a very intentional life now where I'm present with my body. And I'll be honest and say, it wasn't just, you know, going to therapy because I was having all these mental and physical symptoms that taught me to be more present with my body. Having a chronic illness and experiencing chronic pain because of that illness taught me, you need to sit down, sis, right? And I'm thankful for my tribe too. When they tell me, I think you need to have a seat, <laughs> you know, right. that accountability. I think you need to have a seat, but I was forced, right? Because I couldn't work 60, 70 hours a week. Like I was working or signing up to volunteer to do this or do this project. I had to literally do like, even now in private practice, I could work more, but I have to be very mindful about my caseload because my body can only handle so much so right so I talked about earlier sometimes I can I, I feel when my back and my shoulders and things feel a certain way I mean I have inflammation in my back from an accident but sometimes when it feels like I have a weighted blanket on my back I'm just like okay something else is going on here what's really good you know because my back starts to lock up and so it's so true a lot of times we do find that our trauma resonates in our body. Absolutely. I mean, I think we've talked about multiple times the book, The Body Keeps Score, right? The idea that our right. body holds memory and and often in order to release that, we we need we need somatic help. We need help in in releasing it through through body work. So yeah, absolutely. She shared that she's learned through healing and being a therapist that she needs to honor herself first and foremost. Well, I've learned that I have to take care of myself first. Like you said, yes, it's a it's a helping profession. And so I think even as social workers, as therapists, as first responders, all types of providers, you're taught, right, to put your patients first. But 
I think for me, what helps me stay grounded and centered, especially through the last two years of COVID, what helps a lot is waking up in the morning and doing what I need to do just for me first before I pick up my phone, before I respond to text messages, before I get on social media, you know, whether that's starting with gratitude. As soon as I open my eyes and when I'm in a bed right before I go to sleep, I even play gratitude meditations that are for sleep, right? So, you know, it is letting go of the day and trusting I've done all I can do for today, being very intentional and purposeful about rest. And when I think about rest, I laugh (laughs) at my friend Nicole, because she says sleeping at my house is a whole experience. (laughs) It is. (laughs) Where you, you know, it's going to be the right temperature you need it to be. We're going to have fans. We're going to have air purifiers. We're going to have air humidifiers. We're going to have some sage, some incense, some essential oils. You know, look, if you need, if you got some pain, I got some, uh, uh, what is it, biofreeze to rub you down, right? (laughs) So for me, because I am limited in my physical ability and sometimes getting out my home, my bedroom, my space is sacred. And so I definitely practice rest. I even schedule my patients with the break in the middle of the day so I can take a nap. Yeah, that's good. Like if I need it, if I don't, then I'll use it to do administrative work, but I build it in. So if I need rest, I can take it. Yeah, which is why I definitely believe now, truly in my spirit, even though sometimes I still struggle with it, rest is revolutionary. It actually takes more psychological endurance to allow yourself to rest than to keep going. And I think in a capitalistic society, we've all been taught, and especially as Black women, that you take care of everybody else before yourself, um, that you... Uh, work really, really hard, right? And you could sleep when you did. Mm, yeah, that's very true. I mean, all in like hip hop lyrics and all of that. And I used to be like, I can't do that. Right, it's toxic. It's toxic. Like I want to have some peace and joy before I die. <laughs> you know, I'll be ready to meet Jesus when it's my time. But while I'm going to be here, I got to have, I got to have some joy. Rest is revolutionary. I was thinking to myself, that's a T-shirt right there. That <laughs> is a T-shirt. Rest is revolutionary. When I interviewed her and she said it, I really, it, it like hit, I felt it so much into in my soul because we were just talking about it before we started uh, recording today, right? Like rest is something that has not been great for us right now. And it is revolutionary because when we rest, we feel so much more replenished and rejuvenated to do the things that we have on our plate. And so I was just like, that is, that is such a simple saying, but so powerful. And we were just talking about how society rewards our go, go, go. Right. And so when, when you contrast that with the idea that rest is revolutionary, it is because we're basically saying to society, my well being is more important than your expectations. So I I love that. Yeah, we need t-shirts. <laughs> Sharice, t-shirts, okay? <laughs> she also says something which is very true. It is healing is not going to be free. It's going to cost you something. Your healing journey isn't going to be free, right? It's going to cost you some tears. It's going to cost you some sweat. It's going to cost you 
energy, time, money. And so it's a very empowering place. And I want everybody to experience that, right? To have a level of support that is safe. I couldn't agree more with her. Healing is expensive because it takes so much of various parts of ourselves to fully be present in that journey. It is not for the weak or faint at heart. I don't know if you can prepare for it, but just like when it starts to happen or when you make the choice to do it, committing like 1000% is something that is necessary because it is going to take a lot. But I really love that she said that. And I'm just like, yeah, that's very true. It's not free at all. It definitely costs a lot in all of those things. You know, I think that's something we we haven't really talked about before is the cost of healing. And there there is a monetary cost. There is a physical cost. Um, there sometimes is a relationship cost. I personally basically spent my retirement on healing. And that was a conscious decision in that, you know what, I can make more money, but I, ca- I can't do this healing thing by myself. And I, I really need help. And I would make that decision again. And I realize that's really extreme, right? That that's that's an extreme version of of that. But the truth is that it costs something. And basically, you have to really sit and think like you only have this one life push it to someday or are you going to do it today and and what do you really want out of it right i want to say too there are many many resources that are available that are are free there are groups aa has many open meetings and they talk about healing all the time right and they're usually free or or a, a dollar donation so there are free resources out there but even that is an everyday thing right that is really taking time and it's frustrating because there's privilege in that. And I recognize that, that society in general creates this hole that requires healing and then doesn't provide the services, the resources for us to get out of that. And so I think it is something we haven't really talked much about, about the cost. Yeah. And in addition to like the actual financial cost, right? The other thing she was saying is just, just that it is a commitment of your time, your sweat, your energy, all of those things, which is very true. It is an exercise. And so while we commit to doing it every day, and maybe, you know, for some people, it starts like every month, every week, every day, and then throughout the day, right? You know, it is an evolution. It is a process. But we do become mentally and emotionally fit as a part of the journey, right? Because that is the exercise of healing. That is the exercise of unpacking and chipping away and peeling back the layers and getting to the core and the root causes of why, the why, right? The why behind everything. Why do we show up the way that we do? Why do we respond the way that we do to people? Why do we react and all of those things? And that for me, of course, you know, I always say it, it I love the insight that comes with healing. Because now that I've been doing it for years now, it doesn't sting as much. It does sting still. (laughs) I don't think it never is not going to sting, but it doesn't sting as much. And my response to it is not retreat. It is, okay, what do I need to go on this journey of healing? I can think about the future and I could get excited and I can trust that things are going to be okay. 
You know, it's no longer the worst possible outcome is going to happen, right? It is, even if I'm afraid, I can move forward and trust that because of what I've experienced in the past, it's going to be okay. It has also led me to ironically reestablishing a relationship with my mother. I got to a place in my healing journey where I had done enough work, I had processed enough anger towards her. And because she's in recovery now, like true recovery, I've gotten to a place with her where I've been able to understand her brokenness and have grace and compassion for where she was and respect her efforts in trying to be a better mother now. But it took some years. It took me some cutoffs of saying, if you can't respect my boundaries, if you can't show up in my life a certain way, then I'm not going to participate. Right. And she decided that the relationship was worth sticking it out and figuring it out. Now, granted, our relationship isn't, you know, 100% perfect, but it's much better than what it used to be. And I don't cringe when she calls anymore or have a panic attack or get scared. And I never thought that would happen. Like the last time I cut her off, I, I even told, I told my friend, I said, I never talking to her again. Forget her. <laughs> Right. But that's not what my divine wanted me to do. Right. As much as it made sense, it was like, this is a connection you cannot sever. You got to figure it out. And for some people, I don't want people to think that, you know, you have to be engaged with someone is hurting you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is my mother finally chose me. She finally chose the little girl and the big girl to say, I messed up big time and I can't fix it but I want to be in relationship with you so I'm gonna try my best to figure it out because at the end of the day you got to live with yourself and if you don't like yourself there's no way you can like or love anybody else genuinely and the legacy I want to leave is love I think is radical and revolutionary to love yourself truly right, to walk in that and extend that to others, I think is just phenomenal because the world is a really hard place. It can be tough. And I was just like, oh, yes. Her words are so incredible, <laughs> aren't they? I'm like, man, uh, when are you starting a conference? No, <laughs> I, I know. she. Uh, this the, To love yourself is revolutionary, absolutely. And we can't love others until we love ourselves. I actually had an ex share with me in a conversation after the relationship was over. And we had both had some therapy and like come back to kind of review. And one of the things he said to me is, he goes, you know, you love the parts of me that I hated about myself. And I hated you for loving those parts. And that was extremely uh, impactful. Right. But we all do that. We all do that. When we don't love ourselves and someone loves the part of us that we don't love, it's like, why the hell would you love that? I don't love that. Yeah. And and so it's is so true that in order to love others, we have to love ourselves. 100%. Sharice left us with the following tools and resources. I think therapy for black girls is a really great resource for locating a female therapist, a black female therapist. It's a great website. You can even see if that therapist takes your insurance. They also, of course, have different resources and tools. So I'd like to 
help patients with that registry. But even if, you know, you just have your insurance card, you can call the back of the number and request referrals for a provider or use their online portal and you get to select what you want in a provider, right? Because you have to be able to connect with them. As a provider, we fill out forms that have varying identifiers. So whether that's race, gender, sexual orientation, specialties, like you get to find the person for you. Like you don't have to settle, right? Because being in a therapeutic relationship is still a relationship. Like you don't want to settle outside of therapy, so don't settle in therapy either. So you can you can definitely search for a provider that has identity criteria that you can relate to and connect to. Because oftentimes I think what helps me as a provider is I have my personal lived experience in life and I have my personal healing journey, right? And so our experiences are parallel as well. So I think that's important too. Psychology Today is another great website that you can go to to look for a therapist as well. And you can also ask around, like ask people, do you have a therapist? How you feel about your therapist? If you love your therapist, let me know. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Let me know. So it's okay to go to your community and tribe and say, do you know anybody? Because you never know who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. The Psychoanalytic Institute also has, it's called the Sheely Clinic, and they have resources. It's like sliding scale where it's reduced fee, the community reach. Ebony Hester is a great Black woman in the St. Louis area, and she has a nonprofit where she can provide little to no cost services for people who need help paying for therapy. When you are in doubt and don't know where to turn to, Turn to your tribe, your collective. And if you need help building that, I would say seek professional help. You got to have somebody. You cannot do this world alone. You can't do it alone. And right there, we're just like, okay, Mm -hmm. therapist Sharice, drop the mic. Drop the mic. (laughs) So Sharice, thank you so much for this amazing insight as a therapist, but also telling your story about your healing journey and how you even got into the work of helping others to do the healing that they needed to do. It has been such a pleasure, and we thank you so much for being on our podcast. This is Tears, Ties, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Kiana Daniels. And I am Bridget Flaherty. I see. I see new tides carry on through the years, transform through the tears, the audacity of you going through it all, the audacity of you trusting self. Oh.